Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Joshua 3. Just while, the, the, while that goes around, I'm going to be reading actually from before that up there. Just Joshua 3. Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you've not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. Say before. Before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that you may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's something he kept on saying, and now he was going to prove it. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you've come to the edge of the waters of Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters shall come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. And so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam. At Adam, funnily enough. (laughs) Uh, The city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. I'm so grateful to see so many of you here at pretty short notice because some of you come regularly along to the evenings and are here uh, quite regularly. We've been doing a series all looking at the kingdom of God and so that's nice to see if if you came back for that. Now you're thinking, oh, I'm gone. We're not having that one. I was liking that one maybe, but we're not doing. Um, Other people are here because I put something on uh, Facebook really this morning and then it asked it to be read out at the different sites that we meet in because 
I kind of was, I just had this nagging feeling that God had been saying to me, I don't want you to talk about that, I want you to talk about this. And that whenever you get that as a speaker, you have the opportunity to decide whether or not you're going to go with what you want to do or with what God says. And usually it's best to try and go with what you think God is saying. And maybe at the end of this, it'll all be wrong. So um, that's part of the fun of it. Because... I said it's going to be about where we're at as a church, and in some senses, something of where we're at helps us to know where we're going, but more important than where we're at is who we are, because who we are is going to determine where we're going, really. That's what is going to make a big difference. Our DNA, we have a DNA document. It's, you can find it online. If you've never read it, you should do. It's really good. It was put together by the elders some years ago, and it's kind of been slightly updated over the years just to bring us into line with where we're at now. But it's well put together. This is who we are. This is our DNA. Because Adam Firth said this morning at the Fuse, you know, a body has a DNA, and this is, this is a body, the body of ivy as a particular DNA. And so this isn't just about some kind of new um, revelation necessarily that we're looking to bring. But if you were coming looking for information, if you thought, oh, well, Anthony's going to tell us everything that's going to happen for the next few months, bad news for you, Anthony doesn't know what's going to happen for the next few months. So I know some things, and I can have a stab at it, but basically we are following God. And he has a habit of being slightly hard to follow because he zigzags. Have you ever found that? You think he's going one way and then you find out he's going the other way and that's why he wants us to stay close to him. So um, there's things that I would have thought, oh, we're, if we had just been about, oh, we follow on in this direction, uh, he actually wants us to be with him. Um, so I remember the first minister that I ever kind of worked with, Vicar, um, was an incredibly prophetic guy called David Saunders. And he used to say there's three things to know, that you need to know about prophecy. That there's three ways basically, three things involved in it, which means there's three ways you can get it wrong. There's always revelation and interpretation and application. So I could get some revelation from God and it could be 100%. Really, really, God definitely said it. Or it could be slightly off. And then there's interpretation, which is the way I, what I think it means and how I interpret it in my current situation. And then there's application, which is what I think we should do with it as a result of it. And do you see that with all three of those, you could be slightly off and end up quite a way off? So in all of this, this is not Anthony, some weeks I'll just open the Bible and I'll say, this is what the Bible says and we're going to do what the Bible says and that's it. That's a kind of teaching thing. And what I'm wanting to do tonight is a little bit of that, but more than anything, what I'm wanting to do is kind of bring some of the teaching thing in, in a sense, as I've just been working on this this afternoon, into preparing us for what I believe are some more now words from God. And then that's for you as the church, as the body, to test that and for you to think, okay, Maybe that is. Maybe, and, it, and if you think it's right, maybe it will also help you, especially if you take note of it and if you either you take notes physically or you write it down. There's going to be a lot of changes coming up in our church in the next few months. And I can really do with lots of people. We've got a great staff team and elders. But we want everybody to be able to get, in a sense, something of what we know and what we don't know. And most importantly, it's not what you know, it's who you know. To be able to help people who don't know where we're going and what we're doing. And so we need, you know, you're going to be surrounded by people. At some point, people are going to come to you going. 
And then it's up to you what you do with that. Do you join in with them and go, <laughs> two, or do you stop and think and pray and say, well, here's some things we do know and here's some things we don't know and here's the one we do know and let's remember that. And we help people to be able to, to stay close to Jesus because if we do that, that's what I've found followship is all about. Just following Jesus. So, in terms of information, the way I do leadership, I've just learned to do it this way. It's the way I do it. Not everybody does it like this. The way I like to do it is pretty much full disclosure, as much as possible, as long as it's nothing confidential or going to hurt or harm anybody. If I know it, I'll put it out there for you to know it too and then you can be praying about it because if you don't know it, how are you going to be praying about it? So I'll tell you stuff that we know and, my, and, some, and I'll often tell you things that we don't know and I won't necessarily from that commit us to a course of action because actually the way that we're led by a church is that we have a whole group of people in the church who are the body and then we have some elders and they make some decisions and we have a staff team and they also help in the guidance process and I'm not the Pope and I don't just say this is what we're going to do but I can put stuff out there and then we can all pray and we can all um, make some good assessments and everybody then we start to get into the, the genius of everybody and everybody praying and everybody looking for the solutions and ideas and, and feeding that back in because that's what we want more and more community more and more communication more and more connection is going to help us um, so that's why I want to just tell you everything that I do know. Now, part, and again, that's really part of this, the IV DNA. We're going to be kind of open like that. So that was some sort of prophecy basics. Next thing, please. I mentioned the IV DNA. We're going to, you know, sometimes we'll put these up at the beginning of a service and remind people, if you've never read the document, have a read of it. It's a good document. We want to be relevant, and that means that we want to be... a. Connecting to people's needs out there in the world. It's a real world with some stuff happening out in there. We want to be relevant. Relevant doesn't necessarily mean trendy or the latest thing. It just means it actually meets the needs that people have and people need the Lord. Next one, please. Confident. I've ripped this right out of the DNA document. At Ivy, we never feel that we've arrived or that our journey is complete. We are on a journey of discovery with God who leads us forward. The journey has many surprises and some tough challenges, but we know that as we hold fast to God's hand, God will hold us securely through the adventure. He will lead us forward step by step, whatever the circumstances. He will provide everything we need for the journey and reveal himself on the way. This is exciting. We don't know how God will lead us or the surprises he has in store for us but we do know this God is with us we are confident in him and in his future for Ivy Church everywhere we plant and grow some things never change that's who we are we're confident in God we wrote that years ago that isn't just something we've come up with now in reaction to the fact that some things are changing with regard to where Ivy Kingsway are meeting and with regard to Ivy Fallowfield are meeting we didn't then say oh quick let's write a DNA document these things are there because this is us. Next one, please. Empowering. We just had the year of equipping. We want to be a church that encourages and enables those who belong here to take responsibility to grow and mature as disciples. So the problems we have are everybody's problems. The opportunities we have are everybody's opportunities. Everybody's inviting in a season of growth and change to step up to stand up and be counted, to get involved and to help. We don't want a group of people who are sitting watching while other people get on with sorting everything out for them. We want people to feel empowered. 
Next one, please. Adventurous. No, outward, outward looking and adventurous. It's the adventurous one. Adam Firth again mentioned this this morning at the Fuse, and, it, and he was standing there talking about it, and it was behind him, and I was reading it and thinking, yeah, that's it. That's, what, that's part of it for tonight. We are always expectant, seeking God's next step. The only constant is change. DNA means the body changes year by year. We don't, ex- we don't pretend to know where we will end up on this journey of faith that we are all involved in. We are about why we meet more than where. Faith is adventure. So this is our DNA, Ivy. This is the body you are part of. When you become a member here, you sign up and basically say, I'm, I'm like that. I want to be like that. Even if I'm not naturally like that, if I'm not a naturally confident person, I'm coming into a, a confident body. Even if I'm not somebody who's normally welcoming and hospitable to other people, I want to be more welcoming. I want to empower people and I want to be empowered myself. I want to be fo- outward focused, not just inward looking. I want to be adventurous and take risks of faith. And as you, the people that you're around start to affect you, so you become more and more like that. But I think what can happen is, I kind of read that through that. And I think there's, I'm just, this is in the worship earlier. I, if I'm 100% honest in terms of where I'm at with my spirit, the things that I'm talking about tonight come less out of my hard drive and my Bible study of stuff and more out of my journal, if I wrote a journal. I don't really write a journal. I have a kind of journal in my head. And the things that I'm talking about tonight are the things that God's been speaking to me in the last few months. And something that he's been kind of saying to me a little bit, as, I, as I'm honest, and, it, and it's not something I've even wanted to hear, it's kind of back here somewhere, is, he's been saying to me, you're getting a bit comfortable. And if you'd have said to me even two months ago, how are you doing? I would have said, everything's going great. And ch- it was the church like, oh, it's going great. And it's a little bit like, the picture is like a boat where I've got my hand on the tiller a little bit and just, oh yeah, well, plain sailing. We know where we're going. Water's pretty calm. Yeah, I mean, we have not saying there's, I'm not saying there's no bad things happening and things aren't tough at times, but pretty much, we, you know, budget's going okay. Um, people are coming along to things we've got. We've got fantastic young leaders who are raising up and being brilliant at preaching and leading and doing amazing stuff. We've got locations opening up. We've got all this. And it's like a little bit like, well, what, what do I do? Well, I get to go and visit them and go, yay for you. And um, sometimes even preach at them and go and get to, you know, hobnob with Nicky Gumble at things sometimes and... All of that, because we're getting, ooh, look at us. And it's like a bit comfy. So I was in the, all right, God always gets me stepping into the shower. That's my holy place. I know, don't get that picture completely out of your mind. As I'm walking into the shower, so often God will speak to me. And... This week, Tuesday morning, Jonah chapter 4 pops into my head. I'm thinking, Jonah chapter 4, Jonah chapter 4, okay. End of Jonah. I know about the end of Jonah. I know what's happening at the end of Jonah. You see, you know the story of Jonah, the famous bits. You've got Jonah 
God says to him, go to this place. He says, no, I don't want to go. In fact, no, I'm not going. So he doesn't get in and he gets in a different boat going the other way. And then God sends a storm. They chuck him overboard because they say it's your fault. It is. He ends up going down into the water, gets picked up by some big fish thing, vomits him out onto the beach. And then he reluctantly goes around in a nasty way and argumentatively shouting at everybody and telling them, you better repent or God's going to kill you. And they do. And, they, and even the king and even the donkeys get to wear sackcloth, it says. You know, it's like really serious repentance when you're putting sackcloth on the animals. And then Jonah chapter 4 happens. And um, this, is what it is. this is how it finishes. Now, Jonah said, Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, see, this is why. This is why Jonah's angry. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant. Interesting, it's about plants. We talk about plants in a different way at Ivy, don't we? But this is a plant, a leafy plant, and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah is very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Oh, we don't like that kind of provision. You can pray for God's provision, but nobody wants him providing a worm. Which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left and also many animals. I think this is, in terms of prophetic stuff, I think God's saying, he's saying this to me. He loves this city. Yeah, he's got a heart for this city. He's got a heart for the city. And what we end up thinking is, I mean, it's quite comfortable to be sitting in the plant, in the church plant that we planted. The nice one in Sydney World where there's Starbucks and the most comfortable seats and the biggest screen ever. And kids work, loads of, you know, more, I know we keep finding room for them somewhere, more and more kids are coming along. And then it's comfortable to be in these different places, it's comfortable in this room. It's you know, got it all nice for us and all of that. But you know what? God doesn't want us necessarily to be comfort. That is not God's chief aim for us when we become Christians, especially when he starts it off by saying, take up a cross and follow me. And so I was, I was like reluctantly praying about Jonah 4 in the shower and like, mm, Lord, what are you telling me about this? And here's what I kind of, in an inaudible voice on the inside just felt God say to me, you can have comfort or revival, but not both. You can have comfort or revival, but not both. Because, um, so on Tuesday, or a couple of days after that, 
we had a site leaders meeting. We sat together with the staff team guys, and we and we, we talked. We, and, and we'd had a we've had a discussion about this at elders too. So it's not just me kind of making things up as I go along. We're we're talking together and praying together about. So what are we thinking of? And this isn't like necessarily the plan. This is just letting you into the the inner workings and thinkings of our heads in terms of this. And the picture that I drew very badly, which I'll draw even worse for you now, was of a bath. Obviously. We'll put a tap on it. There you go. So, there's a bath. And uh, this, for me, represents Ivy Kingsway. And when, we, when, when Ben announced that we've been in discussion with Cine World and that they basically said, that amount of money that you give us, now it's been taken over by some new multinational, they don't want that amount of money. They want three times as much as, as that. Um, wow. It's a lot of money. And then various other things just made us feel like, wow, this isn't good. But Ben's been feeling like the bath's full. That's why we've been saying, let's go to two services in there. Let's do that because we need more space in there. And we've, we, it sploshed over a while ago. A whole bunch of people went to a place, which I was at this morning, called Ivy Fuse. Do your thing. Ivy Fuse, Ivy Fuse, yeah, yeah. So, uh, a bit late there, Lauren. So, so, some people sploshed over from Ivy Kingsway, if you like, and became Ivy Fuse. And over the, you know, we've had things happen like that in the past. Because now, we're not just one church, we've got the, all these other buckets. We've got uh, Ivy Sharston. And we've got um, Mersey Bank. Noisy ones. Uh, so we've got Ivy Fuse, Ivy Shelston, Ivy Mersey Bank, and then the oddly named at the moment, Ivy Fallowfield, because it meets here at the moment. So they're discussing about what they're going to call that. And we also have this evening thing, which I kind of do, which is Ivy Central. So these are like buckets, and some splashed over recently and did that. But I think what's happened is, God's seen that we've been getting comfortable there, and he put the plug in. And he's like... I don't want you comfortable in that place. So I'm going to do something about making that splash over. So what I can say for the next few months is at some point quite soon, we're going to, well, what we're not going to do, we, 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 we're not going to pay them the three times the amount of money. So we're going to keep talking to them about how long we can be in there without paying them the three times the amount of money. But there'll come a point at which we don't. And then, for the, this is how I see it at the moment. Un, un, unless, unless God, and it, this hasn't happened at the moment, unless God provides like another bath over here, some other bigger thing, for the summer, what's going to happen for sure is that this bath is going to overflow into these places. And if you're in this bath, I hope this means you will overflow out into these different places and that you will go into there and when I say that that isn't so that you can then go around thinking which one is comfortable for me to be in let's be Christians about this let's not be asking what Ivy can do for me but asking what can I do for Ivy so that when you're going into these places through the summer for the next few months you you, you might come here or you might go to Charleston, you might go to the Fuse and you go and you serve and you get involved and you help and you invite people because in all of those things actually there is a common denominator 
which is, they're all Ivy. They're all your family. Whichever one they go to, because actually our primary identity number one is Jesus. If you're a part of this church, another part, a major part of your identity is that you're Ivy. And then we are more about, more important to us is why we meet than where we meet. Yeah? A little bits of agreement. I know it's going to involve, nobody likes the bath overflowing, nobody likes that, that's a bit of a mess. But you, but I, I can see that, I don't know, I'm not saying I even know what's going to happen from that, but what, you know, I, the way God kind of works, in, uh, I've seen in the past, is that even then when these get full, what happens then? More, you get more, you have to get more buckets, so you have to start, because they're going to start overflowing too, aren't they? So then we start, maybe this starts another bucket. I don't know. Ivy question mark. Oh, and that, I don't know, maybe God will provide some great big place for us somewhere. Because he can do that, can't he? Well, he did it. Actually, one of them is called the Fuse. Yeah. A two and a half million pound building. There you go. We didn't earn that, make that happen, save up the new for it. God gave us a place where we could meet. The message, it's amazing, building and facilities that we, we, because they're mission partners, because God's clever, that, you know, they, these guys who, who, who are our mission partners do it at a really generous rate for us to be able to be in these places because we love them, they love us. They're part of the same mission. So, anyway, I don't know what... what what else is going to, whether anything else will short term, long term flow out of there. But what I can say for now is be ready for that overflow to happen because that's part of who you're going to be in the next few months. And then I was like, well, so that's fine, but, but what, 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 so what are you doing, God? Why are you doing this? And um, as I, again, praying about it, next thing, next slide, potentially. Andy Hawthorne talks, uses this phrase quite a bit pruning for growth, and I hate it whenever he says it. I never like to hear it and often I disagree with it. But you say, oh yeah, sometimes, oh, that's pruning for growth. I don't like the idea of pruning for growth. For me, as far as I'm concerned, everything should just keep grow, 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 grow. That's what I like. Everything grow. And that would be good except Jesus talked about it too, didn't he? In, let's have a look. John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do with that? He prunes it. Why? So it would be even more fruitful. That's why God does it. When we were in Surrey, there was this vineyard that we used to uh, go to and uh, they had like a nice coffee shop there and you could have a look at the, the you know, the vineyard's a really nice place. And in the coffee shop, they had all of these posters, and it was like the life of a vine, the life of one of our, our vineyards, you know, a vine in our vineyard. And they went through these different ones. And I remember looking, oh, this is interesting, going along the first one, and that must have been like in the winter, and you've got this like, vine that's really got nothing on it. And then it's starting to like, be, just coming into the spring, and it's getting some nice buds starting to grow in, as, the, as the year turns. And then they grow even more, and they get all these nice leaves and flowers, and it looks really nice and bushy. And then the next one, it's like vandalised. It's like just cut right back. And it's crazy. You're thinking, that's, like the kind, that's my gardening. That's the kind of thing I do. So, you know, so I, I, I cut everything down. 
But there's a reason for it. Because it turns out in the springtime, they have two, har- two, two times they prune it. Once in the spring, once in the winter, after the harvest. But before the harvest could come, there has to be a pruning back that happens in the springtime. And it's all this lovely stuff that looks great. But left to itself, that vine is always going to be more about pushing out leaves and little fruit that looks like it's okay, but you can never do anything with. So that's why they know you have to prune it. It has to be cut back in order that it will become more fruitful. And the word that's used for prune there, by the way, is katarizo. Anybody called Catherine? Similar kind of word in the Greek. There you go. It means clean. He cleans it. He chops stuff back. He, he purifies it so that it will become even more fruitful. And it's like uh, every time there's a Y shape, apparently, on the vine, they'll cut back one of them. It's like you can't have two things going. He's gonna, they're going to lose one of them in order that it will grow. So it's like if it, you can't have, it's like Jesus saying you can't serve both God and mammon. It's like you've got to make a choice. In the same way God keeps asking us, which, which one of these are you going to choose? That's what the pruning's about very often. What's most important? Nobody likes pruning times. Nobody likes testing times. Because actually, it's often, often comes, not when we've, it can, it can look like it's because we've done something wrong. It can look like he's judging us, can't it, for something. There must be sin in the camp or something when that happens. Or it must be because he's, he doesn't love me anymore, if, if, it's on a, if it's on a ministry kind of a level. And so I don't think this is just an isolated thing for us as a church. I think if this is happening as a church, it actually is also happening in individual branches. And you'll know if this is you, even if you feel just like a little twig on the end of the ivy branch somehow, pruning as an individual for you might feel like you're not quite fulfilling your potential. You're like you've been held back by something. And maybe to other people they might think, oh, it's because you, have you been rebellious or you've, been, you've got something wrong. But you know actually you haven't done. But you feel sort of battle-worn and weary and, and it's kind of spiritually a bit dry. And, or maybe even hidden and laid aside in some way. And, and, and like you tried to do stuff, but it got blocked. Or you tried to do stuff and it got resisted. Or it maybe even got criticised. And so you, you, you've gone back in with it. And it can feel like, actually, it's the exact opposite of what God's call or destiny that you thought it was has now happened. And you're like, where is God? What is God doing during that time? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands in that, but I know, because I've been through it myself, at times like that, you start asking, what's God doing? I want to tell you what he's doing because there's three R's that come with this. Number one is retraining in that time. Number one is retraining. When we go through pruning times, God is developing skills that we'll need for the future. Joseph knew that he had a destiny. He knew that he was supposed to be a person of great influence, but it seemed the opposite happened because he ends up in slavery. He ends up in unjust imprisonment. It's like the opposite thing happened to what he felt should have happened. And yet, 
Where did he learn the gifts and the skills that he would need in, in Egypt? In prison and in Potiphar's house. That's where he learned the skills of being a steward, how to be a leader, how to manage resources, all about how Egypt worked and the court and everything that he would need. He learned those in the hard place. Nowhere else he could learn them. The other R is refining. These are times that we're going through where we get our character refined. God is more interested in our character than just about anything else. And as you get squeezed, what's really on the inside of you comes out. Like a tube of toothpaste. During these tough wilderness times, people, circumstances, all these kind of things are instruments that will test our character, the real me. And I think of Joseph again, who at the end of the test says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Number three, R, is repositioning for greater, greater fruitfulness. That... When he says he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, some people look at that and say, actually, that isn't a good translation. The actual better word is, he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. And it's like they'll get, he'll get a bit of trellising and he'll take some, some branch that's not going well and he'll push it back up into the light because then it will bear fruit. Because if you're in Jesus, you're meant to bear fruit, aren't you? And I think that repositioning can happen during these tough times when we end up being, being, it's not easy, but we get pushed up into a different kind of a place so that we'll end up uh, more fruitful. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to bear much fruit. So he'll let stuff happen that seems to us ridiculous. It's like um, I'm in the middle of all of this happening and I've just started getting down to, oh, we're drawing plans and ideas about what's going to happen short term for the summer and I've just written out some ideas of plans for talks that can take us right the way up until September, feeling like, yeah, again, I'm, I'm back in control. Then I get a letter that says, um, we want you on jury service in, in June. I'm like, oh, brilliant. Uh, that's exactly what I need. <laughs> and you know it could be I don't know how long that's going to be it could be a couple of weeks could be, but it's like I don't need that now but you know what I think God's saying to, them, to me in that yeah and I don't really need you <laughs> none of this is just happening God is at work God is pruning us for growth remember it's a test have you ever been through a test and you, and you you know it's a test and you know you can get through it because you know it's a test when you remember it's a test it's going to finish I'm going to get through this how you respond in the season of pruning is very important it's a test it's a trial it'll finish you will come through it the same God who brought you to it is going to bring you through it Hebrew says no test no trial seem, no discipline seems pleasant at the time but in the end it produces a harvest of righteousness for those who are trained by it so I say this to the church and I say it to you as an individual if you feel like you've been cut back in some way that does not mean you've failed it doesn't mean you're in the wrong place it means God's at work remain stay faithful He's preparing you for greater fruitfulness. Hang in there. 
Above all else, guard your heart for everything flows from your heart, Proverbs 4.23. All your ministry, everything else is going to flow out of your heart. That's where the attack is going to come. It's comfort or revival. You can't have both. This is a time of transition. Final bit. I'm getting into the, 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 this is the prophetic stuff, I think, the bit at the end of it, really, which is this morning's um, passage that came to mind and then I had to go and open my Bible and find where it was because there was like this word that was going around in my head. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. The company of the prophet said to Elisha, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a beam from there and let us build a place there for us to meet. And he said, go. There's something happening here. There's this group of people that I'm meeting, the school of the prophets, and they're learning about God together. And there's now so many of them that are coming that they're like, this place isn't big enough. God's got a bigger picture. God's got a, a, a bigger portion. God's got more for us than we can contain here. And because they're prophets, they hear from God. Because this isn't just about Elijah, the mighty man of God, or Elisha, sorry, the mighty man of God hearing. The people hear from God. We're meant to be a prophetic people, aren't we? This is our inheritance. This is what we're meant to be, a prophetic people. We're meant to the sheep hear the voice. So we should be expecting to hear from God. And so they hear from God. And it's like there's something inside of them that's just saying, we need more room. This is great, but we need more room. There's more people need to come. There's more people need to be reached. There's more people in what we're doing. We need more room. We can't just stay here. We need to break out. We need to, we need to burst out into something new. And they're starting to get a change. And the first move that, ever, that God ever does with us, if he's ever going to take us to somewhere else, is he has to change our minds first. He has to change our perspective first. He has to shift that in order to get us to move into the new place. So very often, God is, in terms of relocation, 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 God is first of all wanting to relocate here. And they, they're starting to get that shift taking place. They're like, we, we've been growing, good we can't just carry on growing here like this until we go. So if we're going to grow, we've got to go. Because if we're going to grow, we have to take our thinking to a different level. So with everything said, God's pruning us, he's cutting us back, but it isn't just like a cutting back thing. I think he's cutting us back in these different ways with the purpose of growth in mind. He's got purposes of growth he's got purposes of fruitfulness he's got more impact this isn't I don't believe this is the things that he's doing here are to lessen us or to decrease us I think that there'll come a time we'll look back as we have done in the past and go oh yeah that's just what God was doing some of us have been around long enough to be able to know that and go oh yeah that's what that's what he does that's what he does with us but first of all, the first place he always takes us for this to happen is outside our comfort zone. Are you willing to go there? The prophets didn't just say, we'll just do whatever we want. They came to Elisha, they came to like a leadership setup and they submitted their idea and their thought and that's a good thing to do. And they also wanted to stick together because he said go and they said well only if you come with us 
And then we can all go together. And they said, yeah, okay. So then they go together. And they went down to the Jordan to, to get the resources that they needed to build. And what I like a lot about the story as a carry on is that they didn't really know what they were doing because they didn't have much of a clue about building because they were prophets, not really builders. So they've got a bunch of axes and they're cutting down trees and one of them's not very good with it and it's somebody else's axe. It's a borrowed one, it says. And then the even the head falls off that and goes in the river. And I'm like, that's me and DIY. That's my kind of building plan. That's the sort of thing I would be doing if uh, they let me be in charge of all of that kind of stuff. You, you know. And that's the kind of thing that happens when you're outside your comfort zone. You have to end up doing things that you're not very good at to be able to build in this different kind of a way. You have to be willing to, to do stuff that looks to you a bit ridiculous, maybe. But I think what I felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me this morning, and the reason I put this, the, the talk aside for tonight in some ways and just went with this is, is to say this, and it was from that first line in this, when they said, look, the place where we meet with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan. And obviously, the Jordan had lots of trees, lots of wood. Great to chop that down to be able to make what you want to make with it. But I, think, I don't think it was just a physical thing. See, when they said, let's go back to the Jordan, for them, the Jordan had so many connotations of miracles. The Jordan was the place, the chapter before, where a guy called Naaman had come, this outsider from another country, in some way looking for God, but didn't even know he was looking for God. And he'd end up being told, go and dip in the Jordan seven times. And he'd found healing in the waters of the Jordan. So it was this place of miracles for them. The Jordan, they knew about Elisha. And they knew that Elisha and Elijah had gone there together. And there'd been that time when Elisha had, 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 had been like, God, have you still got your stuff for me like you have for Elijah? And it's where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he hit with the, with the mantle, he hits the waters of the Jordan and they, they crossed over. The Jordan is this place of... Of, of miracles, this John is the place of, of, of provision, it's the place ultimately where Jesus is going to come and meet with John the Baptist who's baptising people in the Jordan and, and it's, the, it's, you know, it's just this incredible place of miracles, it's the place where Elijah actually was fed right at the start of all of this by the brook Cherith it said, they would have ravens that came to feed him and guess what river the brook Cherith runs into? The Jordan, it's this place of miracles. So they're saying, you know, this place where we're meeting with you is too small for us. Can we go to a place of miracles? Can we go down to the place where, where we, we know God's going to provide and do amazing stuff that we, we don't even know what he's going to do? And obviously for them, the Jordan, there's a thing in the Bible, the law of the first mention, the first time the Jordan really gets mentioned is when Joshua and those guys came to it in the middle of a flood and on that side of it is the promised land. And on this side is the desert where they've been walking around for a long time. And now they come into this swollen river. And all they've got is the promises of God. And some of you are here, and I've referred to this sometimes, eight years ago when I came to Ivy with Zoe and the family. And we went to King's Church upstairs and we had this service of like an inauguration thing where I got prayed for and became the senior pastor of Ivy and they gave me a Bible and everything. Uh, and Eric Delve, who was my friend and former leader who had been asked to speak, he said this, and I'll never forget, he said, here's what's going to happen in Ivy. He said, Anthony's like a Joshua. And what's going to happen is you as a church are going to keep on coming to the Jordan River and it will be in flood. And what you've got to do when that happens is the leaders 
will have to go first. He said, it will not for you be like when Moses just got the stick and held it up and went open or whatever and it parted. He said, you're going to have to get your feet wet. And that's been so true, hasn't it? During the years we've been here, there's been times, time and time again, and to be honest with you, I like it like that. It kind of keeps me closer to Jesus. I like it that I'm more dependent on him now. I like it that I'm not comfortable. I kind of like the uncomfortable. Do you? You're mad, aren't you? <laughs> That's why I like you. It's good. It's good to have that. It's good to be thinking, what if it doesn't work? Because that's what keeps us praying. We don't just settle. We don't just, we don't just go, oh, this is... And there's a, there's a phrase, we've not, I've not used it for a long time. But we used to see it a lot, you see. And when you stop seeing it, maybe you stop saying it. And we didn't need to see it as much recently. This was the phrase, when we step out, God steps in. And I, I think we're coming to those times again. As a church, whatever this looks like, and it might not look anything like this in a couple of months, but I think we're going to be finding times, and please pray we'll keep having the courage to step out and to put our foot in the water and not know what's going to happen next, but know that God is, is a miracle-working God, and he can have... We'll find later on that he's miles down the river, sorted something out, so at just the right time, when the water needed to stop, it will be stopped. And then we'll all be able to cross over into the promises that he's got for us. And I think it'll be a better promised land. I think that what he's got for us in terms of fruitfulness and impact is, is way beyond the, that bath overflowing. I think it's going to be, you know, what if all of these become baths? And they all start overflowing. And Robert Nettleton, when I talked to, to the elders about it, he said, it's like a champagne fountain. <laughs> Just overflowing and overflowing. So I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm excited. Should we pray? Hmm. Uh, I feel like the Lord is saying that he's honoured when we talk about the miracles that he's done in the past and we remember them. And Lord, you know it, it ignites our faith when we kind of revisit in our mind and in our hearts those times and those places where you've moved in the past. But now, Lord, we, now is the time when we, we, we say to you, just bring on your work in our lives. Prune us where that needs to be pruned. Cut us back in all those areas that don't bear fruit. Lift up those areas that don't bear fruit. And the ones that are, are bearing fruit, Lord, we say you, you, you know what you're doing. You can even cut them back if you want, if you know that it's going to bring more fruitfulness. We just submit to you. Thank you that our Father is the gardener. Our Father is the vine dresser. This is your work. So we just submit to you, Lord. We put it all in your hands. It's you, Lord, that's doing this. Take, I just take off my own hands, my own head, and that of my fellow elders and staff members here, the weight of responsibility of this, and just trust you.
for miracles. We go back to the Jordan. We go back to the miracle place. We go back to the place of provision. We go back to the place where, where you came and, and stepped in the water yourself and where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sang together of your redemptive purposes in, the, in that Jordan River. And Lord, now is a time when we remember who we are, remember our DNA, but we also know that part of what that means is that we get to, we get to, to keep on being changed to be more like you. And I pray you'd help us, and especially people who've heard this message or anybody who's watched it online, Lord, to, to realise and remember that so much more important to you is how we go through these things than what we go through. And it's going to be about the offences that we don't take up or hold on to and the, the way that we love and forgive and the, the words that come out of our mouths and the sins that we leave at the cross. It's going to be about the self-portrait that we allow you to redraw the dreams that we decide we're not going to let die because you're not letting them die. And Lord, I just give this uh, church in all of its different places and all of its different people, every man, woman and child, and we just say, Lord, together we trust you. We love you. We'll follow you. We are going to be about you. We're going to be about why we meet, not where we meet. And Lord, in all these places, we want to be about helping other people in a world where, where people who've served their country well and been a naval commander and done good things and raised a family get run over by thieves. In a world where um, just awful things happen and a world in turmoil politically and financially and a world where the poor are hungry and injustice runs rife. Lord, we, we just say, we, will, will you use us and shape us and help us to be your kind of people? In Jesus' name. And Lord, thank you we get to do this together. Thank you that this is a family. Not just a, it's not just a church. I don't want to just go to church, Lord. I'm part of a family. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. I love this church. Thank you that you love this church and that it's your family. Amen. Good, good. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.